All right. Well, we're in Ephesians. And we started out in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going through a whole teaching on the book of Ephesians. And we've seen in the first three chapters of Ephesians how, how God preordained us to be in Christ. And we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, right? And how is that possible? How are we seated with Christ in heavenly places? Because he sent his spirit, and his spirit dwells within us. So where Christ is, you are. And where you are, Christ is. That's awesome. And when you read the book of Revelations, you read the book of Revelations, and where is all the glory? Where is all the heaven pointed towards? Towards Jesus. Right? And so that's why God had this awesome plan of putting Christ in you. So you are a magnet for the blessings of heaven in your life. But you've got to believe it. Trust in it. It's like a little kid. God designed us to be a family. He calls himself Father. He calls himself Abba, Daddy. It's not Father. He's not the Darth Vader. He's not the God Father. He is Daddy. And Jesus literally said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot inherit, you can't enter in into God's kingdom. And that's so hard for us because we like to be in control. We, we, we like to, we're proud at our achievements. But Paul was a man that said, all that I've done, it's been by the grace of God. I worked harder than you all, but it was not I, but Christ in me. That's a, that's a huge difference, huge difference. So we're now making a transition from this place of our position in Christ and eternal truth to temporal truth and where we live in the day in, day out of life. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians describing how the church, God's family in the earth, is to look and to oper- operate in the earth. And last week we looked at chapter 4 and we started out in verse, verse 1. And I'm going to use this again. We used this last time, but when Paul was converted, we see him declaring these two truths of wanting to know this eternal truth, who God is and who we are in, God, in our relationship with God. And then he said, what will you have me do? So in this earth, in this body that I now dwell in, what is your will for my life? And so many people want to know what is the meaning of life. It's right here. At Paul's conversion, he asked two questions. Who art Thou, Lord, that was found in Acts 9.5, and Lord, what will thou have me to do in Acts 9.6? The first question was doctrinal, the second question was practical. And that should be the question on all of our hearts. We should be wanting to know God more and more and more and what his will is for our life. And in Ephesians, I'm gonna, just going to read chapter 1 through 6 real quick here because we looked at that last week. But it says in chapter 1 of Ephesians 4, I th- or verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you 
all. And what we looked at last week is we looked at how unity is a big deal with God. The unity of the saints, the unity of believers. And it's not something we have to work at. It says keeping the unity. Keeping the unity. God already sees his body in unity. Why does he see his body in unity? Because we're all unified in those seven things. We keep the, the unity of the faith in we're all one body. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be different denominations of the body of Christ up there. It's going to be one. We're in the, we all receive the same spirit of God. We have all the, have the same hope of the return of Christ and the resurrection of these, these bodies. We have one Lord who is Jesus Christ. We have one faith that is the faith in Jesus Christ as salvation. We have one baptism. That is that submerging into the spirit of Christ. Your spirit and the spirit of Christ colliding and mingling and cannot be taken apart. You become one. And then we have one God and Father of us all. So, you know what? If, if there is a church out there that believes these seven st- statements, I can stand in unity with them. I can stand in faith with them. I can send someone to go to that church because they are in unity with God's plan for man. They're in unity. And we should never look down at other churches for doctrinal stances, things that, things that we might not believe the same way that they believe. If they're in unity in these, they're our brothers, they're our sisters. And they're fighting the good fight of faith with us all. Amen? Amen. So how do we do this? How do you do, do keep the unity when we don't always agree on everything? He said, through humility, through kindness, with patience and showing tolerance for one another in love. Right? See, the reason why we fight and the reason why we argue so much is just because of our own pride. We don't leave that. We don't. We, most of our arguments aren't because you know what I love you so much that I, I need to share this with you, because because I want to see God manifest in your life the way that I've had Him manifest in my life, and I love you. No, it's more of I want to show you that you're wrong. That's devilish, and the church is filled with it. The church is filled with that. So we're picking up on verse four here, or verse seven of chapter four. And it reads, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. So right away, right away, after he talks about this unity that we have in the church, in his body, he starts talking about diversity. Because can you admit that we're not all alike? We've, that's why these little wars start amongst churches and denominations and stuff. It's because we're not all the same. We have diversity amongst unity. So what are these diversities within the body of Christ? Different gifts. Different gifts. Instead of celebrating someone's gift that might be different than our gift, we, we point the finger at it and say, either say, that's wrong. You need to be doing this. Your gift, your gift is, is, might be teaching. And, the, and someone over here just loves to pray. 
And they say, you don't pray enough. And the guy over there is saying, well, you aren't in the word enough. And they, and they beat their heads against each other. Instead of celebrating that, yes, pray, I need you to pray. Yes, teach, I need to understand the word of God and have revelation brought forth. Or we do the opposite. We say, well, I, I, I can't pray nearly as good as that guy can pray. Or how does that guy read the Bible and get that out of there? I read the same thing. I don't get that. Right? Anybody ever done that? It's not you. It's the gift that Christ has given that individual. And instead of clinging to all these gifts because we need one another, we divide. And that must not be how it is around here. What are these diversities? These diversities are gifts. We do not all have the same function or gift in the body of Christ, but we all are the same body. Look at what it says. The Corinth church, had, they were carnal, and they had a huge problem with this, rivalry and, and saying who's better and all that. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 17, this is Paul describing the body. And it's actually, if you read it, it's humorous. He says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any... Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? So picture this. He's trying to paint a picture. Just a big old eye up here. Where, where would the rest of the functions happen? He goes on to say, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? So he's painting this picture of big ears and big noses. He's, it's, you know, it might not be our type of humor, but back then this was, would be humorous. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. You're placed in the body because God desired you to be placed there. So if you are struggling with thinking you're significant in the body... Know that God has placed you in the body. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church is that the body of Christ is made up of many different members and many different giftings. And we need all of them to be a healthy, productive body in the earth. And my daughter gave me a good analogy to this last night. You got a baseball team. What happened if everyone wanted to be infielders? What happened if everybody wanted to be infielders? When the ball got hit and it's hit to the outfield, you'd lose the game, right? And let's take it one step further. This is how most, especially small churches run. What happens if the coach sat everybody on the bench and the coach played the game? 
He, he did it all. They get their butts beat. Right? We are one body, and we all have been give, given different gifts in this body, and we need to celebrate each one of the gifts. And we can't, we can't be discouraged. I mean, I've, 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 when, I've heard people even talk about praying out loud, that, you know, I'm not very good at praying out loud. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, praying out loud really isn't for God's benefit. It's for the hearer's benefit. Because you're trying to get them to be exhorted to cling on to what's being prayed in faith. Right? God doesn't care how elegant you pray. He looks at the heart of men. So there might be someone with a gift of exhortation to exhort and to build up and to encourage the body. And you shouldn't look down on yourself because you struggle with that. Understand? Your way that you might exhort, because we all, the whole body can operate in these different gifts, but some people are just more gifted in a certain gift than others, right? I mean, what would happen, what would happen if our, our Karis Fellowship meals were put on by a bunch of people that they're, they're, had a teaching gift? The food would stink, you wouldn't feel welcome, and all you would have is sitting around with the Bibles, right? John has an awesome gift of hospitality. He can make you feel welcome. He loves, there's something in him that loves to do that. And thank God for him. Amen? And what happens if, if, but the thing of it is, is John can teach too, right? But he prefers to be hospital and, 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 serve and to make people feel welcome. But he can teach. I've heard him. You've heard him. And the same thing is what happens if, if, our, if, our, if our Bible studies and our small groups were all with people that just loved hospitality. Then we wouldn't have a Bible study. We'd have snacks and fellowship time. Right? Right? And what happens if, if, if someone that loves to worship was doing the, doing the Bible study? Then you just worship all, all, the whole time. We need this all. We need one another. That's what God's saying is we need one another, and no one is greater than the other. No one is greater than the other. So in Ephesians chapter 7, verse 8, it says, but for each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That gift, you're gifted. Because it says in verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. If you are in the body of Christ, you have been given a gift. If you have the spirit of Christ within you, there is a gift, a gifting that God has given you. This, this here, Verse 8 is a reference to a prophecy found in Psalm 68. All right? And this, is, this parallels Israel's deliverance from Egypt. That whole Egyptian bondage thing is, is the gospel. In the earth, they were slaves to Egypt. We were slaves to what? Sin. Pharaoh was their master. Satan was our master. 
God sent a deliverer and delivered the people. After he delivered the people, he ascended Mount Sinai and came down and gave the gift of the Ten Commandments. See, for us living in the New Testament, that doesn't sound like much of a gift, but that was an awesome gift. That was God saying, this is my covenant with you, and I will bless you according to my covenant. No other people had the covenant of God like that. And they were called to be to witness and testify of the true and living God. And if you read the Old Testament, it was actually, they were meant to bring the nations into themselves, but they failed miserably. The other nations corrupted Israel. And Jesus ascended. Thursday was, it's funny that we happen to be on this scripture this week, because Thursday was ascension, when Christ ascended to heaven. Right? See, redemption was paid for at the cross. But it wasn't fulfilled. Things weren't fulfilled until he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and gave gifts to men and had the gift of God's Spirit dwelling within each one of us. And tell you the truth, redemption still hasn't been completely brought forth. We still are waiting for our redemptive bodies, aren't we? Right? And the whole earth is still under the curse of Adam. Right? The curse of sin and death. And one day that will be all done away with. Right? So this references to that prophecy found in Psalm 68. These gifts of the body are listed in Romans 12. These gifts that Christ gave to the body. Because we're going to get ready. We're going to be looking at the fivefold ministry gifts. And those are different from the gifts of the body. And in Romans chapter 12, 3 through 5, it states what these, gra- these graces, these gifts are to the body. In verse 3 it says, For I say, through the grace given to me, so through the gift that God has given Paul, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So we see here that this is Paul writing to the Romans, right? We've seen that he just wrote this to the Corinthians. We're studying this in the book of Ephesians. So this is a, something that he was taught in all the churches that he went to, understanding the body of Christ and the church within the earth. Verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us then, if prophecy, let us prophesy in portion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And these are all the gifts in the body of Christ. So we got prophecy. And we see in 1 Corinthians 14.3 it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. This gift of prophecy within the body of Christ is different from the fivefold ministry of being a prophet. Okay, So think about this. Have you ever 
spoke edification. That means, have you ever built someone up in the Lord? Have you ever exhortation, exhorted them, got them excited in the things of God? Have you ever spoke comfort to somebody? And, And you got done and you say, you know what? I don't know where that came from. Then you have operated in the gift of prophecy. See, we don't, we don't call it that in the modern-day church. Ministry, that is servants, helps. That's a modern thing, the gift of helps, you know. We all, we all start there, it seems like. We all have the gift of stacking chairs and, and cleaning and stuff like that. But tell you the truth, this is one of the most important gifts within the body of Christ. They're called Deacons. They serve. They make sure that this is a pleasant atmosphere for you to come to. Right? This, this makes, they make sure that when you go into the restroom, you want to use it. See, these are, these are the things that, you know, we take for granted, but they are so valuable in the body of Christ. And you, and you might think they're not important, but me as a pastor, they are very, very important. Very important. Teacher, apt to teach or suited. This is a person that might never teach from a pulpit, but they might teach in Sunday school. They might lead a a small group. They just have something in them that likes to get in the Word. They like to teach. And here's something about it. You'll never teach behind a pulpit until you first teach little kids and teach outside the pulpit, right? You'll never fulfill the, the fivefold ministry of a prophet if you never prophesy. So you need to work into these things. As you're faithful with a little, you'll be given given much. And I believe that there's lots of people that have been called into the full-time ministry that just because they were carnal and they shied away from the things of God, they never built themselves. They never worked their way in to the ministry. And then there's others that might have a call on their life and they jump into it way too soon and they don't have the foundation in themselves, and they're easily taken out. So teachers are part of the body of Christ. Exhorter, encourager, people in the things that, encouraging people in the things of God. This is someone that is excitable. They, they like to encourage people to be born again. They like to encourage people to um, have a deeper commitment for Christ and to live for God. You know, these are people we like to get around. They're kind of, they like to pump you up. And then giver, motivated to give, entrusted with money. Do you realize that God actually has given gifts to his body that he's designed you to make money? I didn't thought it would go over like that. It's pretty quiet in here. There are people that God has given a gift to make money, to give into his kingdom. And this is very, see, this is where you need to understand what your gift is. Because we can look at people that they're in, they're in businesses, they're doing things, they, they're able to make a lot of money, and what, the, what does that do? It takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? And we can say, well, they're not at the church every, single, every time the doors are open. They're not doing this, this, and this. They're not nearly as spiritual as I am. No. They're the ones that make it so the doors can stay open. Right? They're the reason we can have the lights on. One day have air conditioning in here. 
right? You'll be asking for that in July. But And the person doesn't have to feel condemned if they don't feel like they're doing enough stuff in the church when they're the ones that are allowing the church to stay open. And then ruler, elder, administrations. These are people that are gifted with administration and, and um, pastoring and, and overseeing and directing and that stuff. That, there's people that come along and help to schedule and do these things called elders or called bishops in the, in the Word of God. If you came to our Wednesday night when we did on church governments, you know, the word pastor is only used once and it's in in the New Testament, it's in Ephesians. Think about that. We call everybody pastor. It's only used once in the New Testament. Because they're also called elders and they're also called bishops, overseers. See, we get this idea of a bishop, of some guy with a big pointy hat and stuff, but it just means overseer, administrator. So these are giftings that are in the body of Christ. And we're not to point fingers at saying, my gift's better than yours, or my gifts, I'm not as good as that person. No, they're all needed in the body of Christ. It needs to be pointed out that all believers can operate the gifts listed here. All of us can do those things there, but let me just read it. But that doesn't mean that that's their ministry. For instance, they can and should be able to teach others. But that doesn't make them teachers. Paul said, ye may prophesy one by one in 1 Corinthians 14, 31. But he also made it clear that not all are called to be prophets in 1 Corinthians 12, 29. It is definite that all believers should all show mercy and be givers. But some people are given spiritual gifts in these areas. Right? Also, the body gifts are different from the fivefold ministry gifts to the body as a whole, which we'll look at here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, okay? So we're still here in verses 7 and 8 because there is a lot here. In verse 8, it makes a statement, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What is it talking about that? He led captivity captive. This phrase, led captivity captive, is referring to Jesus liberating the Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints who died went to a place in the center of earth called Shiloh in the Hebrew language. We call it hell. See, hell, is, hell isn't what you think it is. Shiloh, there was a place in the earth, and one side of it was called Abraham's bosom or paradise, and the other side was what we would say hell or torment. Okay, And we see this in Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus. A lot of people try to use the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus as, that as just a parable. Okay? I don't believe it was a parable. I believe that it was a, this is a true story that Jesus shared. Because it starts out, there was a man. Whenever he said a parable, he says, the kingdom of God is like unto. Okay? That's, that's a big difference there. So Jesus is telling us a story, and then, we're not going to read that whole story. You can go read it in Luke chapter 16. But in verse 22 it says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, Shiloh, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus 
in his bosom. So we see that both the saints in the Old Testament and the sinners in the Old Testament went to this place called Shiloh, and they could see one another, but there was a great chasm that divided them, right? And the thief on the cross, when he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he says, I tell you this day you will be with me in paradise. So the thief on the cross, by putting his faith in Jesus Christ, went to Abraham's bosom. He was probably, he's probably spent the least amount of time there. And what Jesus did is he fulfilled the law and the prophets, redeemed those that put their faith in the coming Messiah of God. He led those that were captive by the law, he brought captivity captive, and he took them with him to heaven. These are things that we don't talk much about in the church, but look at Matthew 27, 51 through 52. It says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now listen, we think that this all has happened simultaneously. No, the veil was torn, there was earthquakes, okay? But look what it goes on to say about these bodies that were resurrected. It says, The bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of their graves after his resurrection. So these saints were resurrected the same time Jesus Christ was resurrected. That's awesome, ain't it? And most of you probably say, I never knew that was in there. So these, these saints were resurrected, and they came out of the graves. And um, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So this was just a, a testimony of that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and, and he led those saints into heaven. And now Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We no longer, Abraham's bosom's empty. But, but Shiloh is still a holding place for those that resist the love of God. Hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is that hell is not eternal. Do you know that? Hell is not eternal. Shiloh is not eternal. It says that hell, death, and the grave, along with Satan and all his angels, will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's eternal. The lake of fire is eternal. And, and if you listen to my message on, on the, uh, the wrath of love, that same lake of fire that is before the throne of God is the crystal sea that John the Revelator says is before the throne of God. And there's a river that comes from the throne of God. And John calls it the river of life, and Daniel called it a river of flames. It's all in how you perceive the love of God. For someone that hates God, the love of God is eternal torment. But for us that love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's eternal bliss. Hmm. Amen. A lot of stuff here, huh? And if you, so moving on to verse 9. Ephesians 4, 9. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay. So this right here, there's been many, many small, big wars over this scripture here. Many, many wars have been fought over this. Many div- dividing of the saints of God. Many dividing 
of the churches. Many calling people heretics and false teachers and of the devil come from this simple phrase right here. Because what it's saying, what it's saying here is that he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all in all. He first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So what this is saying is that Jesus went into hell, Shiloh, okay? And the Bible is very clear on this. The Bible is very clear on this. The Bible makes it crystal clear that Jesus died, went to Shiloh, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Here's just a few. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you want to see an interesting thing, Jesus compared himself to Jonah being in the belly of the fish. Go read Jonah and see what it was like when Jonah was in the belly of the fish. It's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus and what Jesus was to endure. In Psalms, a prophecy, 610, For you will not leave my soul in Shiloh, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus' body never seen corruption. And Peter uses this prophecy concerning Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, 27 30, it says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you, the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us. This day, therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, would be raised up, the Christ, to sit on his throne. So what is this saying? This is saying that David seen corruption. He died, he was buried, and his body rotted. He never resurrected. He was prophesying that there would be coming one from his lineage, from his loins, that, <laughs> that would be the Christ and would not see corruption. And that was Jesus Christ who had not, never seen corruption. So we see that Jesus went to a place called Hades, right? So what is the controversy? This is the controversy. The controversy is this, is where did Jesus go when he was in hell or Shiloh? Did he go just to Abraham's bosom, or did he go to the place of torment? Okay? We know that he must have somewhat went to the place of torment because he says, I have the keys to hell, death, and the grave. He took them from Satan, right? So he had to at least get the keys from them. Here's what it is, is that there are some people that teach that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty on the cross, and that was sufficient. There are other people that preach that Jesus died on the cross, then he paid the price for three days and three nights spiritually in torment in Hades, just like he paid what we would have to pay. I'd, you might get mad at me for saying this, but I don't know. And tell you the truth, it doesn't matter. We've been redeemed, we're saved. All right? But here's the problem is... The people that say that Jesus didn't go to in torment say because he, God cannot be separate from himself and, and they point the finger and say then he must not be God if he can, um, they call it spiritual death but I don't think you die spiritually, it's eternal. So he, they point the finger and say you're a bunch of heretics he, uh, and this is of the devil because you're saying that Jesus wasn't God because he could go to spiritual death. And 
you know, you can easily say, well, the Bible says that, that God cannot be contained. But he was contained in human flesh. How does that work? So you're saying that Jesus isn't God. Or that Jesus can't be God because says, the Bible says that God can't be contained. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. So if Jesus went to eternal torment uh, for three days, I don't know. He could have. He could cut off. If that, if that was what was needed to save us, then he did it. If he didn't need to do that, he didn't do it. It doesn't matter. But we divide over these things. We divide over these things. These people that say that Jesus went to hell and suffered torment, they're not saying that Jesus isn't God. The people that say that their teaching is wrong are saying that they say that Jesus must not be God. What I do is I look at their ministries. Look at the ministries. Is there fruit? Do they love Jesus? Do they cause people to get excited about God and love God and to grow into things of God? Are they proclaiming Jesus? If they're doing that, I'm for them. Right? And the problem is, is these, these people that all they do is criticize, criticize um, other ministries and other churches and the teachings of others. There's no joy, there's no fruit, there's no happiness. I, I, just to be totally honest with you, and I might delete this out of the message, is I've seen people right in this own body get hooked up with websites and things that all they do is criticize and call heretics and, and all these things. And they go from a place of loving God, being excited about God, to a place of just pest, just. They lose their joy. They get critical about everything. They leave, leave the church. They do all this stuff. Don't go there. Do not allow yourself to go there. If you're being edified, if you're being built up, and Jesus Christ is the forefront of everything that the ministry does, you're in a good place. Amen? So that's the controversy. See, you probably didn't even know all that stuff, probably more than you wanted to know, but I'm telling you, you... You'll run into it sooner or later, and it's good to know. Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some to be prophets, and some, uh, some to, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He himself gave. I'm going to say something real quick here. Is who gave the gift? Jesus gave the gift. So if you hear about a guy that's a prophet and, and he says, you come up to me and I'll lay hands on you and give you the gift of prophecy, or I'm a pastor, I'll lay my hands on you and I'll give you the gift of pastoring, or I'm apostle and if you lay, me, lay hands on you, you'll get the gift of apostleship, it's not true. Jesus gives the gift. Jesus gives the gift. Now, we do lay hands on people because Paul talks about Timothy that they laid hands on him and what? He told him to stir up the gift that was within you. And what probably happened was as they laid hands on him and they prayed for him, God, through a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, spoke something over him. And what he spoke over them isn't something that should go, wow, I never thought that would be me. No, it should be already in line with something that's inside of you. Right? Because you have the Spirit of God. It should be confirming something in you. You might find it hard to believe because you see yourself as unworthy, but there's something in you say, yes, that's true. That's true. And what they do is they stir that gift up. They bring it to the surface. They encourage you in that gift, 
but they cannot give you the gift. Right? Understand? Amen. These gifts are for the church, right? So we've seen that Jesus Christ gave these gifts, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And these gifts are for the church. So as long as we have the church, we're going to have the fivefold ministry, right? The fivefold gifts of the pulpit gifts are in contrast to the bodily gifts that we looked at in Romans 12. These are, to use a modern day term, this is kind of like coaches. They're they're put in the body to coach the body. And we're going to see that in just a second here. Ephesians 4.12. So these prophets, these apostles, prophets, teachers, or evangelist teachers and pastors are for what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. So what is the role of the fivefold ministry? To coach, to teach the body of Christ how to move, operate in their giftings. Why? So that we can do the ministry together and, ed- and build up and edify the body of Christ. That's what they're for. If you're not growing in Christ, if you're not in a place where, you know what, I just want to do something for God, there's, there's that you, and you're not getting taught on how to activate your gifts and to live and move and walk in those things. And if you always feel like you're dependent on the pastor, that, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The, the pastor's like a coach. He teaches you the game. He, he, he brings out, you know, you're a great shortstop. You're a great pitcher. You're, man, you're a great outfitter. You can throw it all the way home from center field. He sees that. God gifts him to do that. He builds you up, encourages you, and teaches you in those things. And you go out and play the game. Look how the Amplified puts this. In Ephesians 4.12, in the Amplified Version, it says, he, His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, His consecrated people, that they, sh- that they should do the work of, the, of ministering towards building up Christ's body of the church. Right? It, 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 it shouldn't be, you shouldn't need me, even though I would be willing to do it, you shouldn't need me to call up to go talk to your neighbor about Jesus. You can do it. I'd be willing, I'm willing to help you, go with you and help you. You, should, you shouldn't need me, even though I'm willing to do it, to come and pray for, the, for someone that's sick in your family. You shouldn't. And, and it's, a church will, not, will only grow to the, the ability of the person. And it was never intended for one person to be dependent on. You have the Spirit of God. You've been given gifts. You've been called. You are to do the work of the ministry. Now, I'll, I'm willing to be there to help you. To, and that's really how it should be. Until, we're going to keep going here, until... Until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the full knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So how long are these gifts? The duration of these gifts are given here in this verse, till we all come in the unity of the faith, until every Christian sees and believes alike on the fundamentals of the faith, 
These gifts will also continue to function until we all come into the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, until a perfect knowledge that results in maturity. These gifts will continue until we come unto the measure of the statue in the fullness of Christ. So we're basically, these gifts are going to be in the body until Jesus comes back and we are transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Amen. So what's the reason? What's the reason for these gifts? The reason for these gifts is that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. The Greek word translated children in this verse is N-E-P-I-O-S, meaning not speaking, so an infant. So these are newborn Christians. We are to grow up into adulthood. We grow through the word of God. The word produces stability and helps us to maintain our course in Christ. Right? That's the purpose of these gifts within the body of Christ, is to cause you to grow up, to grow up. Amen? The word trickery is translated from the Greek word K-U-B-E-I-A. This Greek word comes from the word kubos, K-U-B-O-S, the name for a cube or a dice plane, for dice plane. And K-U-B-E-I-A literally means gambling, according to the Strong's Concordance. So what this is saying that, that is baby Christians, if they will not submit themselves to church leadership and allow themselves to be trained, taught, and matured in the things of Christ, they're gambling with their lives. They're gambling in a dice game that is set against you. Satan can easily sift you. He can easily take you out. So it's important to submit yourself to, to those that know more than you. I mean, sometimes baby Christians are like teenagers. They think they know everything. Just to be honest, I, I was probably that way too when I came into the body of Christ. I was probably stupid and arrogant and thinking I knew things that I was clueless on. And I can tell you that there's things that I thought and said and taught that I'm embarrassed nowadays. Hmm. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So we're supposed to be growing up into Christ, and how do we do it? By speaking the truth in love. If, if people don't feel loved after you get done with them, you fail. If they don't feel the revelation of God's love, that, that I'm important, that God loves me, that I'm special, that, that I'm not condemned, if they don't feel like that when you're done with them, then you failed. You're supposed to be, it's positive reinforcement. Paul does it over and over and over again. Talks about positive reinforcement. The sword of the Spirit, the word of truth, is not to be used on your brothers and sisters. Do you know that? But we do that. We see someone that believes different than we do or does something that we don't like, and what do we do? We whip out that sword and get a bunch of scriptures and say, this is what the Bible says, da-da-da-da-da, and we just beat them up with it. No, the word, the sword of the Spirit is to be used on the devil in his kingdom. We're supposed to be walking in love. We're supposed to be walking in humility. We're supposed to be walking in, in, in tolerance. Does that mean that you don't talk about doctrines 
I mean, or things that you, you think are wrong in the body of Christ. Yes, you talk about doctrines. You talk about thought patterns. You talk about things like that. But you never, you never point out people or names or anything like that. Churches, denominations, all that stuff. Amen? The truth is always for the hearer's benefit. Think about that. If you're going to speak the truth in love, it's for their benefit. So if they're not going to be benefited by what you're about to say, I think, what it was, a Bambi? My mother says they can't, don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Or Thumper. I was Thumper that said that. Right? So what is, it's truth. You don't say it unless it's going to benefit the hearers. They should always be left with the revelation of God's love. And it should always, the truth always points to who? Jesus. It always points to Jesus. So Ephesians 14, 15, and 16, it says, He is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is jointed, knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, that's a lot there, isn't it? So let's look at, let's unpack this. This is the last scripture we're going to look at. So perk up, listen up. Here we go. So what is that saying? Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is jointed and knit together. So the whole body, right? The body is all knitted together in Christ by what every joint. A joint is the fivefold ministries. Supplies. So the fivefold ministry supplies to the rest of the body from Christ according to the effective working by which every part that's the member within the body of Christ with all their own gifts and callings and abilities does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself, the building up itself of the body, the whole body in love who is God. Amen. So when the when the body is working Together, when the, when the fivefold ministry is doing its job the way that God created it, when the body is being edified, taught, and how to work in the gifts and calling that, God, that Jesus Christ has given to each one of them, we're all being built up, we're all being strengthened, we're all being edified, and we're building up the body of Christ. Amen? And that's the way it's supposed to work. Woo! There's a lot there. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.